Good morning. No coconuts were harmed in the making of that film. That's my bad joke for the day. We're in Ecclesiastes chapter 5. My name is Matt Perez. I'm one of the pastors and elders here on staff, and I am excited to bring the Word of God to you this morning. If you have your Bibles, you have a phone, we encourage you to jump into Ecclesiastes chapter 5. I'll be in the ESV this morning, and we hope that you'll follow along. One of the things that I enjoy watching on TV are, are actually documentaries. And one of the more fascinating documentaries I've ever seen, whether you are a sports enthusiast or not, is one by a 30 for 30 documentary called Broke. The documentary chronicles the stories of different professional athletes who made millions, who fans adored, who young boys wanted to be, who, young, who men envied, who women chased after, and in the end of their playing days, they were flat broke. And they chronicled the stories of some of these athletes. One of them wasted his money on a massive car collection. Another told the story of how he and his girlfriend opened a joint bank account only to see his girlfriend then open her own bank account and take some of his money and begin to filter it into her own account. Another told the story of how he would come out of practice and his friends would have his payday circled on their calendar and they would be waiting at his car on his payday for money to help them out. A prominent quarterback in the 80s who was by, beloved by many shared how at the time he was paying for over 25 cell phones as a favor for his father. At the time, a cell phone could cost up to $4,000 just for one. And he said, I was constantly trying to make my father happy, and I thought, if I could just do this one more thing, he would love me, I'd be approved by him. And so here was this prominent quarterback who in the 80s was the toast to the town and envied and adored by millions and giving interviews on television, and in the end he's saying, I just was trying to find love from my father, and it brought him to bankruptcy. At the end of the documentary, scrolling like credits on a film, was a laundry list of athletes who had gone broke, made millions, and had nothing to show for it. Athletes who had adoring fans, who worked hard at their craft to earn their money, and in the end, for all of their toil, had nothing. This morning when we come to our text in Ecclesiastes, we're in the middle of the book and we're going to see the emptiness of money to satisfy our souls here on earth. And here's the good thing about this passage. It, the preacher wasn't a pauper, right? The preacher, Solomon, he wasn't somebody living paycheck to paycheck. He wasn't somebody who was dependent on outside aid. This was a man whose wealth was legendary, and he had no shortage of ways to use his money to look for and draw happiness out of life. You read 1 Kings chapter 10, and it gives you a picture of a little bit of his life. Annually, he would have 50,000 pounds of gold coming into him as income. He was so rich that he outfitted his army in gold-plated armor. His throne was elaborate. His house was elaborate. He was so wealthy and, and silver was flowing so commonly that he was able to make the cups that he drank of out of solid gold. Nothing but the best. Solid gold cups to enjoy that water. He had a fleet of ships that would journey to the ends of the earth and come back every three years with things for him. Gold, silver, ivory, spices, apes, P. 
peacocks. The guy had a massive world zoo. He was the ultimate car collector with over 1,200 chariots and over 12,000 horsemen. This man was living large. and Anything that he wanted, he could have. And in the end, what he's going to show us in this text is it was meaningless. It was emptiness. It was unfulfilling. This morning, I want to look at this concept in our text. That our pursuit in life on this earth should not be for wealth, but instead our pursuit should be for enjoyment and the gifts that God has given us. Let's look at our text this morning in chapter 5, verse 8, and we're going to go through chapter 6, verse 9. If you see in a province the oppression of the poor, the violation of justice and righteousness, do not be amazed at the matter, for the high official is watched by a higher, and there are yet higher ones over them. But this is gain for land in every way, a king committed to cultivated fields. He who loves money will not be satisfied with money, nor he who loves wealth with his income. This also is vanity. When goods increase, they increase who eat them. And what advantage has their owner but to see them with his eyes? Sweet is the sleep of a laborer, whether he eats little or much, for the full stomach of the rich will not let him sleep. There is a grievous evil that I have seen under the sun. Riches were kept by their owner to his hurt, and those riches were lost in a bad venture. And he is a father of a son, but he has nothing in his hand. As he came from his mother's womb, he shall go again naked as he came, and shall take nothing for his toil that he may carry away in his hand. This also is a grievous evil. Just as he came, so shall he go. And what gain is there in him who toils for the wind? Moreover, all his days he eats in darkness and much vexation and sickness and anger. Behold, what I have seen to be good and fitting is to eat and drink and find enjoyment in all the toil with which one toils under the sun the few days of his life that God has given him, for this is his lot. Everyone also to whom God has given wealth and possessions and power to enjoy them and to accept his lot and rejoice in his toil, this is the gift of God. For he will not much remember the days of his life, because God keeps him occupied with joy in his heart. There is an evil that I have seen under the sun, and it lies heavy on mankind, a man to whom God gives wealth, possessions, and honor, so that he lacks nothing of all that he desires. Yet God does not give him power to enjoy them, but a stranger enjoys them. This is vanity. It is a grievous evil. If a man fathers a hundred children and lives many years, that the days of his years are many, but his soul is not satisfied with life's good things, and he also has no burial, I say that a stillborn child is better off than he. For it comes in vanity and goes in darkness, and in darkness its name is covered. Moreover, it has not seen the sun or known anything, yet it finds rest rather than he. Even though he should live a thousand years twice over, yet enjoy no good, do not all go to the one place." All the toil of man is for his mouth, yet his appetite is not satisfied. For what advantage has the wise man over the fool, and what does the poor man have who knows how to conduct himself before the living? Better is the sight of the eyes than the wandering of the appetite. This also is vanity and a striving after wind. Reading from the word of the Lord. This morning, as we look at the call to pursue God and not the things of this world, I want to look at three things. First thing I want us to look at in this text is the concept that chasing money, no matter how much or how little you have, but the chasing of money, of just a little bit more to satisfy the soul, will always leave you empty. 
Now, in order for us to appreciate this section of Scripture, we have to have just a little bit of an understanding of a literary style that's sometimes used in Scripture, and it's known as chiasm. Chiasm is a structure where the text will be paired with one another in opposite order. It's like climbing a staircase. You have step 1.1, step 2.2, step 3.3, and you get to step 4, the top of the stairs, and that's the main point that the author wants to make. And then he walks down the stairs, step three, which parallels step three, step two, it parallels the second step, step one. And so you can imagine like an arrow with a point, how it's broad on either side and moves to a, a point, to a tip. The author will use this style to talk about an argument, to come to a point, and then talk about the same argument coming back down. It was a very common uh, theme that was used, a common style that would be used more often in a spoken culture than in a written culture. It was used as a way to memorize. And the use of chiasm plays out in this passage. Now, because of this, we're going to look at our text a little bit different than we normally do on a Sunday morning. Typically, we go verse by verse. But this morning, we're going to work at our passage from opposite sides of the staircase or opposite sides of the arrow. We're going to look at the outside and move all the way up to the middle, to that top stair, to that tip of the arrow, to see the main point that the author, the preacher, wants us to grasp. The first thing that he shows us on that bottom step, on both the front side and back side of this passage, is that chasing money, again, no matter how much or how little you have, the chasing of more to satisfy your soul will always leave you empty. Look at verse 8 in chapter 5 where he starts. He says, don't be shocked by injustice. Now, he says injustice is at every level of our fallen society. It's part of a broken world. And he's not promoting injustice. He's not for injustice. He's simply saying, stop being shocked by injustice. It's going to happen. And he says it's going to happen because at our core, at our soul, we are people who are never satisfied. In verse 8, he says, one profits off of someone, and there's always someone above that someone who's trying to profit off of him. And he says, this is so bad, it's so ingrained in us as a people that you could Follow this all the way to the top, all the way to the king, and you're going to keep finding as you climb that ladder of wealth, somebody over the next person looking to profit off them, to make money off them, to, to fleece them, so to speak. And he says this is a grievous injustice. Where does this desire for more lead us to? Well, in verses 9, 10, 11, and 12, he lays out four proverbs to talk about how this greed leads to injustice and how it plays out. In verse 9, he gives the picture of a king who owns a field. And he doesn't even use that field for its purpose of producing food. He just leaves it fallow. He leaves it unattended. He leaves it as like an investment property because it's about putting more money in his pocket. In verse 10, he talks about a proverb where a man is just never satisfied by the money that he has. He just wants more. In verse 11, he says, you know, a man who has money suddenly has more friends, more mouths to feed. They just seem to show up. And in verse 12, he says the wealthy who should be feeling pretty good about themselves can't even sleep. Keeps them up at night worrying about their money and how to make more. Money was supposed to solve problems, right? It's supposed to make everything better. And yet the, the preacher talks about the injustice of money and the injustice of people chasing it and says it just creates injustice and greed and a desire for more, false friends who want to take advantage of you, and a lack of sleep. Now, on the opposite side of this passage, on the opposite side of the arrow or the stairwell, 
in chapter 6, verses 7, 8, and 9, at the end of our passage, he talks about the same thing. In chapter 6, verse 7, he talks about a man who is never satisfied by the fruit of his toil, just like the man in chapter 5, verse 8, never satisfied with the wealth that he gains. In chapter 5, verse 10, we were told that that guy just wants more. He's never satisfied. And in chapter 6, verse 7, we're told the same thing. The man is simply never satisfied. The passage we look at this morning, verses 7, 8, 9, ends with a proverb just like it opens. In this proverb, he says the eyes are wandering. They're never satisfied. Whatever they have, they're always looking over their neighbor's fence line because they want a little bit more. Life will make them a little bit better. This section of Scripture this morning opens and closes with the same concept. A man who wants more, whose appetite is never satisfied, whose eyes are always wandering for more, but in the end, when he obtains it, it's vanity, it's empty, it's meaningless, because chasing money to satisfy our souls will always, always leave us feeling empty. In chapter 5, verse 13, he climbs to the next stair. He moves closer to the point of the arrow and tells us this second concept that we need to see this morning. That those who live to chase after money for satisfaction never really even enjoy the fruit of their labor. Look at verse 13 in chapter 5. He says, there is a grievous evil that exists on this earth. The rich hoard their money. They don't even enjoy it. Or, verse 14, they may lose it to just a bad investment and have nothing to give to their son. So you have this man who has toiled, and in the end he's never really enjoyed it, and he may or may not have anything to pass on to his children when he's done. Money was literally here today and gone tomorrow. You toil, he says, and you can't even take it with you. And we all, we all know this, right? This isn't something new to us. In verse 15, he's like, hey man, you're coming into the world naked and you're walking out of here with nothing. You ain't taking a thing with you. What is the point, he says, in verse 16? This is, this is all evil. He says it again. This is evil. What's the point of all this work when in the end you may lose it in a bad deal? And if you don't, you can't even take it with you. And you're not even enjoying it. You look in verse 17, he says, the man isn't even enjoying it. He's eating in darkness. No one to share a meal with. The other day I was enjoying a meal with a couple of friends. And they asked me, about the concept of food growing up in a Mexican family. Now, if you hang out with me very long, it's not going to take long for the concept to turn to food growing up in a Mexican family, okay? Food, we started talking. I said, what, what, what was the importance of food in your family? And I said, man, in a Mexican culture, food is love. Food is community. Food is sacred. It's about sharing time together. The Middle Eastern culture is the same thing. You're eating, it's a social event, it's a celebration. Nobody is there. As Amy Adams sings in the Muppets, this guy's having a me party, nobody's there. As we would say in, in, in my family, he threw a, a tamale making party for one. It's a sad, sad day, let me just tell you. Greed leads to isolation. He says in verse 17, vexation, annoyance. He's just annoyed with people. Sickness, anger. This is where chasing the next thing has led him. 
And this guy's chased a lot of the next thing. Not a life of contentment and joy, but of loneliness, anger, poor health, and annoyance by just anybody around him. On the opposite side of this passage, on the opposite side of the staircase, on the opposite side of the arrow, in chapter 6, verses 3 through 6, he talks again about the same concept. Here the man, in chapter 6, verse 3, doesn't have a child. He has a hundred children. His quiver is quite full. He lives many years, and in the end, the money never satisfied his soul, we're told in chapter 6, verse 3. The soul is not satisfied, and we're told in chapter 6, verse 3, the man gets no burial. He's got a hundred children, and nobody buried him. He's cursed by God. And he says, you want to know, chapter 6, verse 3, what is better than this man who has all the money in the world, all the children in the world, and is never satisfied? He says, you know what's better than this man? A stillborn, in verse 3. Let the weightiness of that comment hang there for a moment. My wife and I have had good friends who have experienced this on multiple occasions. We've just wept with them at times. You may have loved ones or friends who've experienced this grief. It's painful. You in this room or online may have experienced this grief, and it's painful. And we grieve with you if you have. Let his words sink in for a moment. He says, a stillborn, one who died before birth, who didn't see the pains of life under the sun, is in a better spot than the one who lives with many children, had a long life, toiled hard for their money, and was never satisfied. And this is a man who's lived that. He said, stillborn is better off. Verse 4, he says, the stillborn comes in vanity. He says, it's a, it's a, it's a vapor. It's, a, it's, it's literally like smoke in the air. It's, the stillborn is not even here today in Galton. We're not even here. He says, he never sees the light of day. His or her name is covered. The world never gets to know this beautiful soul, right? And, and the child, though, finds rest from life under the sun because they've been spared life under the sun, is what the preacher says. He or she has spared the pains of this earth. And in verse 6, he says, that stillborn child is better than the man who lived 2,000 years, was consumed with chasing after money, had hundreds of children, and was never content. And in the end, chapter 6, verse 6, he says, that man and the stillborn are going to the same place. Both are mortal, and life under the sun will end. Now, I've had several friends who've shared with me through the years the wisdom that their father or grandfather or other loved one maybe imparted on them, and it goes something like this. I've heard several people tell me this one. They said, I, I had my, my father tell me or my grandfather tell me, you know, son, I've, I've never seen a, a hearse pulling a U-Haul. You can't take it with you, son. Understand that. In, in the 80s, our culture was built on the concept that greed is good, and that concept still pumps strongly through the veins of America. We, we see bumper stickers that say, hey, he, he who dies with the most toys wins. I don't know what you've won. Because other bumper stickers say, he who dies with the most toys still dies. Brothers and sisters, we're faced with the reality of our own mortality in this passage. Life under the sun 
will come to an end. And when it does, the chasing after the money to satisfy our soul, the preacher tells us who had every ounce of money to spare to satisfy the soul, he says it came up empty. It never satisfied. Which brings us to the point that he wants us to walk out of here. If it's not going to satisfy, we need to find out where we do find joy and satisfaction and happiness in life under the sun. And it's found, he says, by serving God and enjoying the gifts he has given you while here on earth. Look at chapter 5, verse 18. He says, let me tell you what's good. Eat, drink, and enjoy your toil while on earth. He says, enjoy the things God has given you. Food, drink, the work that he's given you. The few days, he says in 18 and 19, that God has given you, and you don't know how many they will be, but they will come to an end on this earth. Just enjoy the things God has given you. And enjoy the giver. And if God has given you financial security, enjoy it as a gift from God. Now, in chapter 6, verses 1 and 2, as we see the opposite side of the staircase, as we're climbing to the point of the message, he says, now let me tell you what's bad. What's bad is this, chapter 6, verse 1. There's an evil on the earth. He uses that concept again. Let me tell you what's evil on this earth. God given a person wealth and possessions, and they just simply never enjoyed what God had given them. God never gave them a spirit of contentment. Another enjoyed the riches. He says, this is, this is vanity. This is meaningless. This is evil. Take what God has given you and not enjoy him and what he has blessed you with. He says it's evil. And in chapter 5, verse 20, he climbs to the top of the staircase, the, the midsection of the chiasm, the tip of the arrow, and listen to what he says. For he will not much remember the days of his life because God keeps him occupied with joy in his heart. He says here's, here's the point of it all. God gave this individual possessions. And he enjoyed what God gave him. And in the end, he says, he really didn't remember the pains of life because he was too busy enjoying in his heart God. He was too busy enjoying in his heart God and what God has given him. He said God in his or her desire, was his, God was his or her desire. And because of this, he or she was too preoccupied with God on this earth to be miserable chasing after emptiness, is what the author says. He says, consume yourself so much with the chasing after God on this earth that you're too busy being consumed by God to be miserable by chasing after worthless things here on earth. Now, as I think about this concept, I'm immediately drawn to Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapter 6. So if you have your Bibles or your phones, I want to encourage you, flip over to Matthew chapter 6, because immediately, that's where, that's where my mind goes, where Jesus is delivering the, the, the greatest sermon anyone could ever come under, this Sermon on the Mountain. In Matthew chapter 6, verse 24, he says, no one can serve two masters. Either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. He says, you, let me spell it out for you, Jesus says, you, you cannot serve God and money. He's not calling money evil. He's just saying, it can't be your master because if it is, God is not. As we pursue happiness on this earth, the preacher in Ecclesiastes is echoed by Christ. He says, the reality that our pursuit must be of 
God, to find joy on this earth in God and anything else, even, have, even, even to have, as the preacher had, the means to buy anything you want, it will, in the end, he says, leave you feeling empty. He'll go on, Jesus, in this passage, to say, don't be, don't be anxious about what you need to eat or what you need to wear. Stop chasing and stressing these things. And he says, you want to know why, Jesus says? Because you want to know who does this? Look at chapter 6, verse 32 and 33. He says, the Gentiles seek after all these things. And your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. He says, look, you can't serve God in money. Stop stressing the things that you feel that you need to make life satisfied. He says, because God will provide what you need. And he says, really, you want to know who stresses that I need to work for these things to find satisfaction? He says, you know who walks like that, Jesus says? Gentiles. That's his way of saying unbelievers. Jesus says, when you are chasing after money and the things of this world to satisfy the depths of your soul, Jesus says, you are operating under the operating system of an unbeliever. And you look no different. He says, stop chasing after these things. Seek his kingdom. His righteousness. This is where joy in life and meaning and happiness are to be found. Now, as we consider life in America, I want us to pause and think for a bit about what is sold to us on a regular basis. We work. Some of us have to confess we are consumed by work. We work to get ahead, to provide, to give the good things in life to ourselves and our family. We work hard because we want to provide the best that we possibly can. And I won't pretend I'm immune to this. We want a nice home, better home. We want good things for our kids. We want good clothes, good athletic gear, shell out money for travel teams, we want our kids to get into that good university, so we're taking them to shelling out money for this camp and that camp, enrichment camps, because at the end, we want them to have the best. We want to work hard so we can take, take nice, long, exotic vacations. I got one coming up. I don't feel guilty about it. I'm not telling you to feel, but like we make vacations the thing, right? We chase after memory-making because we're told, man, you only get like 18 summers with your kids, and, and, and you better make sure you make those memories good. You should chase after that, and while you're busy chasing the good, you're missing the better for them and for you. And then the kids move out. Hopefully, you're moving out. Okay? They move out, hopefully, at one point. And then you start thinking about retirement. You move to where retired people move. I don't know, is it Florida or Arizona? I don't even know. Neither sounds appealing to me. But what do retired people do? Well, I've seen commercials. I see old retired people walking their vineyard. Playing golf, walking the beach. My wife and I used to watch a lot of HGTV. If you do, don't feel guilty. There's good shows. But my wife and I found ourselves becoming more discontent with what God had given us the more we watched some of those shows. We would watch shows of people fixing up their homes or looking to buy their homes. And my wife and I noticed a couple years ago this level of like discontent in God, like the home we were thanking God for giving us 
we were a couple years later finding ourselves like really discontent, like, God, you shortchanged us. One day we were watching the show, this show, and I, I said to my wife, you know, my brothers and I, we grew up without granite countertops. We grew up and my dad didn't have an office in his house. We grew up and my parents didn't have an ensuite bathroom. We lived like animals. I don't know how we made it. If I were to steal a line from John Piper, no matter how many days you have left, it would simply be this, don't waste your life. Our culture tells us to chase after these dreams as if they will bring fulfillment. I mean, could, could you imagine, could you imagine coming to the end of your life and standing before your creator, standing before God and saying, look, look, Lord, look at my granite countertops. They're beautiful, aren't they? I worked hard for them. Imagine coming to the end of your life and saying, God, thank you for the last five years you gave me because I brought my golf score down and you must be proud. Thank you, Lord, that, that you gave us these wonderful vacations. Yeah, I, I'm sorry, God, we didn't make community or time in your word important, but look, Jeffrey is a good water skier. You must be proud of my role as a father in, in printing that on him. Imagine the emptiness of standing before God with these joys and treasures. Brothers and sisters, we need to repent of the reality that there are many dreams and desires that our culture calls us to pursue that are not bad, that are not evil. They will pull at our flesh. We will look to them for satisfaction. And you're going to find, and we're going to find, and the preacher sees it clearly, that they are shallow and hollow and empty and will never bring joy to your life. C.T. Studd the name is awesome. He was a missionary in China under Hudson Taylor. Spent time in India, the Congo. And was also a professional cricket player. He lived up to his name, Stud. C.T. Stud says only one life will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. If you want to not waste your life, as Piper says, Give God glory, Piper will go on to say, of every gift he gives you. Because every gift you get is from him. Every gift you get is from him. From a new car to the physical safety to your own next heartbeat is grace bought, paid for by him and through him at the cross. And find joy and rest in him. John Piper says God is most glorified in us when we are most satisfied in him. The church father Augustine says, you have made us for yourself, O Lord and our hearts are restless until they rest in you. So as the preacher in Ecclesiastes cries out, as Jesus echoes, as Piper and Stud and Augustine would cry out, the chasing after money, the desire for more to fulfill you will in the end always leave you feeling empty. He says back to Matthew 6, So what do I do? I seek first his kingdom, his righteousness. And that is where I rest. Look, this is not a call to go home and feel guilty about everything God has given you. James 1.17 says, Every good gift comes from the Father from above. The brother of Christ says, They're gifts from God. But in the process of enjoying some of the gifts, we have to confess that we have worshipped, loved, and desired more the gift than the giver. And the greatest gift that he gives us is his son, Jesus Christ, that draws us into relationship with his Father. Don't be so consumed and caught up chasing the good, making memories of the good 
that you absolutely miss the better. Life under the sun rooted in God. Everything else the preacher says is empty. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this time that we can come together. And we pray that as we prepare our hearts for communion, Lord, that we would come with a heart that is open to be examined by you, to be challenged by you, to be shaped and molded by you. Lord, there is not a soul in this room or online that doesn't need to confess at some level that we have been guilty feeling dissatisfied in the things you provide on this earth. As if that next thing will satisfy. That, that, that thing becomes our idol, Lord, and we confess that. Lord, as you continue to transform us through Christ into the image of God, we pray that you would break the strongholds in our life that we seek value in and continue to lovingly and sternly draw us to you find not emptiness, not hollowness, not futility, but the amazing awesomeness of the Creator who draws us into relationship with Him through the Son. I pray this in your Son's name.